Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, a podcast where a brother and a sister talk about the movies we grew up watching together. My name is Nancy. And I'm Matthew. And today we're going to talk about a movie that appeared on both of our Facebook challenge lists. And that movie is Willy Wonka featuring Gene Wilder from 1971. Also joining us on this um, episode is our podcat, Mulder. And uh, you might be able to hear him purring right now. He, um, too, enjoys this movie. This is a movie that um, I believe we grew up watching again on cable. And then I think we eventually rented it. I do actually recall, I believe, the VHS tape that we had a dub of this on. The first movie was called Savannah Smiles. Yes, Savannah Smiles! <laughs> where... Which is about a little girl who is comes from a very a fairly well to do family and feels neglected and bored, so she decides to run away and she runs away by getting into an, a, a car and inside that car it it ha- just happens to be driven by two criminals who then <laughs> decide to they figure out who she is and decide to turn it into like a fake kidnapping to try and get ransom money and then it turns out that cute little savannah changes their hearts and tries to make them good guys and then eventually at the end she gets back to the parents and (laughs) yeah so anyway by the way this this podcast is gonna have spoilers i just totally spoiled that movie for you yeah yeah warning savannah smiles from like the late 70s early 80s now completely spoiled um the other we'll probably spoil some other movies while while we're um talking about this uh, wonderful movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The other movie we'll definitely be spoiling, um, not in a very great detail, but for major plot points at least, is the um, Tim Burton version, Charlie and the Cho- Chocolate Factory, featuring Johnny Depp that came out in 2005. Yeah, that was painful. Yeah, it's a very different movie, even though the story is supposed to be very similar, but we have very strong feelings about both movies. You know what else was on that VHS tape? Please tell me. So it went Savannah Smiles, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then a movie called The Pirate Movie, which basically was like a (laughs) comedic, like, 80s version of, I think, Pirates of Penzance. It had Christy McNichol. It did have Christy McNichol in it. And then some goofy, blonde, curly-haired guy who I don't, wasn't Willie Ames but was in the Willie Ames kind of category of actors from late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. But, and that movie, <laughs> I remember laughing at that movie a lot. And yeah. Because it, it had a and, and very similar vein in the sense that it had songs in it. Yeah. And it was a comedy, but that's a silly movie. But yeah, so Savannah Smiles, Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then... The pirate movie. That is excellent that you remember. I see. I, I don't remember what else was on any of these videotapes, but you seem to have a better memory of that, and I think that's great. I just have, like, this vivid vision of, like, we're watching Savannah Smiles, and then, like, in the middle of the credits, it just, like, gets all warbly and then starts in. You just see chocolate coming down, yes. like, the entry, the beginning credits of Willy Wonka. Yeah. We watched Willy Wonka quite often. We didn't just watch it a lot as kids. I continue to watch this movie as an adult. Um, I'm going to go right out there and say, if this movie isn't my favorite movie of all time, I mean, it's in the top five for me. I love this movie very much. I really like this movie. There's definitely, you know, I've I, I rewatched it and 
it's amazing like how much of this movie has kind of influenced different parts of my life um, from its sense of humor to some of the things that I say on a daily basis. Strike that. Reverse, reverse it. it. Um, on we go. On we go. Stuff like that. And But it is um, definitely one of those movies that is a feel-good movie, even though, and it's like trying to teach you a lesson, and it's kind of creepy, but yet it's, you know, you've got this poor kid, and you have all these kids that are kind of spoiled or have their own kinds of issues. They're complete monsters, Matt. Let's not be, let's not beat around the bush. They are complete, horrible, bratty monsters that get everything they deserve. Um, I... Full stop, monsters. Are they monsters? Yes. They're like the worst kids ever. They're the worst kids that we see in this movie. Do you don't think that any of that had anything to do with their parents? Well, I mean, that's what all the Oompa Loompa songs kind of allude to. I mean, the Oompa Loompa songs like to give the you know the little moral lesson, and most of them seem to point back to how horrible the parents are. But regardless, these kids are monsters. I, I should probably explain a little more about why this movie means so much to me. You know, realizing watching this so many times charlie bucket is probably the most pure loving innocent child i have ever seen in cinema i can't think of another child that has a more pure heart of gold that wasn't didn't have a selfish bone in his body that they were so poor he wanted to give his money to his grandpa joe to buy tobacco he bought a loaf of bread because all they ate was cabbage water you know his first payday from his little newspaper job i mean this kid was the sweetest kid i ever saw in film and seeing how hard his life was and seeing how his only dream was to be part of willy you know be part of willy wonka in some way or another because the way i kind of understand what willy wonka's chocolate factory was for that town that they were in which can anyone figure out what country this is in i mean i feel like it's in england but they don't really make it clear because half the cast has accents half of them don't i always kind of felt like it was supposed to be somewhere in england but i think they kind of they they purposely make it ambiguous yeah i mean or it's in some maybe it's in westeros i don't know i mean it might be in some (laughs) fake fake country but the the um confusing accents definitely makes it a little bit of a challenge but you know this the way i picture this is because it's such a small smallish town the chocolate factory has this potential to be a place where people could you know, dream or maybe even work at some point. But then there was this whole mystery of who's actually working there, which of course we find out later. Charlie Bucket, the sweetest, nicest kid I've ever seen in cinema, period. And you feel for him seeing how much he struggles, how much all he wants is this golden ticket and how because he has so little else in his life, this is such a big dream for him. And, you know, watching these other kids get these tickets was just heartbreaking for him. Yeah. I mean, and and he definitely is that pure... He's just so easy to kind of feel for when mm-hmm. he's put up against, you know, like, all these odds. I just think that some of the things that you see within all the kids, you know, they all are kids. And there's... They're all about, what, you think, 10, 11, 12-ish? Probably. Yeah. Probably. And they all have that same kind of kid mentality, but 
Charlie definitely is like he's the he's like the golden child of the of yeah. this group. And even Willy Wonka when he first meets him is like, oh, I read all about you in the paper and stuff like that. Whereas the other kids just kind of like just another kid. <laughs> Speaking of when Willy Wonka first meets him, can we talk about how brilliant Gene Gene Wilder's entrance? into this movie was not just that he did, you know, the limp and tried to trick everybody right off the bat and kind of set this thing up where what you see may not really be what you get. But the fact that, I mean, we don't meet Gene Wilder until 40 minutes into the movie. Do you know that that was his idea? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's brilliant. There was a show on Bravo before Bravo became what it is today, um, called Inside the Actor Studio. Mm-hmm. And on the episode of Inside the Actor Studio with Gene Wilder, he actually talks about how he told the the director, "Hey, when I come when I come out, I want to have a limp, and then I want to do this tremendous somersault and you know show everybody what yeah. I can do." And he basically and he the director's like, "Why do you want to do that?" And he said, "It's because then." No one will know when I'm lying or telling the truth. And that kind of plays into his whole attitude throughout the entire movie. And while he's doing this tour, you know, he, you know, there's so many like magical kind of things that happen at this place. Now, not the kind of magical that we kind of see today with like CGI and stuff, but it's like visual tricks that. You know, at the time that they made this movie, actually really kind of worked as opposed to like doing a whole bunch of special effects, which I think you see more of in like the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yeah. Tim Burton version. But there's some really cool things in this movie that I really like visually. Yeah. When you go into the Chocolate Factory, like just from the very beginning, when they first walk in the Chocolate Factory, they're in this room where they all have to sign a contract, which is like like the idea of them having to sign a safety contract and everything just seems so... Is this like... Pre-OSHA, too, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> well, but even when they're doing the contract, like, the parents are talking about that. Like, someone's going to shut you down if there's, like, trouble and exactly. stuff like that. There's, like, little lines in this movie where if you're paying attention, you're like... Us as kids didn't pay attention to this, but as adults, I was re-watching it going, these adults really have... You know, they really wrote this movie in, in a good way. But back to what I was going to say is that when they go into there to sign those contracts where they can put their coats and their hats are actually hands mm-hmm. coming out of the wall. And it's funny, that really reminded me as I was rewatching it, there was this movie that I saw when I, you know, in college, I think, called, um, I think a 1920s version of Beauty and the Beast, mm. directed um, by Jean Cocteau. And it's really great. And it's a similar sight gag where they go down this hall and there's all these um, candlesticks on the wall, and they're all being held by arms, oh. but they're real arms yeah. holding them. So, I mean, th- that kind of artistry yeah. is something that I really, I think, kind of like, got into my subconscious when yeah. we watched this movie as a kids. And then as I got older, you know, it's really cool. Yeah. I always thought it was really cool. Well, before we get too far into what happens in the factory, I just want to go back to what you were saying in terms of some of the dialogue and even just some of the action that happens before we meet Willy Wonka, the deadpan quality of this movie is so hilarious. I mean, the 
Tom Brokaw newscaster who's giving these updates as to how many golden tickets have been found around the world and putting the the little tag on a map like, oh, it's been found here. This is the most important thing that could have possibly happened, like the most important global event ever is the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Contest. And it's not even just the newscaster who eventually, when he reveals the fifth golden tickets found, which we find out is a fraud, is talking about how bitter and, you know, but the delivery is hilarious. They they auction off like the final case of Wonka bars. And then the very next scene are these two heavies that seem like they could have been in any kind of um, really intense uh, Columbo like episode. There's a hostage situation <laughs> where the husband's been kidnapped and we finally get the call. Like, what do they want? What do they want? They want your last case of Wonka bars. And the wife is frozen. And she says, how much time are they going to give me to decide? I mean, just the delivery of that. I mean, I, I remember it seeming kind of serious when we were kids, but you know, those were all gifts to the grownups that were forced to take the kids to the movies because it's just so funny. I mean, so deadpan. But that deadpan delivery is just constant for everybody in the movie. And it's really it's really funny. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely hysterical. And and again, I think that that kind of deadpan kind of humor really kind of ingrained itself into kind of our sense of humor yeah growing up and yeah and um you can definitely see that hopefully by yeah. listening to this podcast well you know once once everybody has um reluctantly signed the contract and um had their hats taken off by these weird hand hooks that are in the wall and they're all ready to see the chocolate factory they're already all made very very uncomfortable um, you know, Willy Wonka opens a door that appears to be this room that keeps shrinking upon itself and then wants to open the exact what appears to be the exact same door to get out. And that's where he says, no, no, no you got to go forward to go back. Mm-hmm. Of course, it does end up in another room. So everybody is very disoriented. The kids, I think, a little less so, but the grownups for sure are just freaking out. Oh, and that's like... You know, again, another one of those sight gag kind of things yeah. that, you know, it's kind of taking the art and taking the kind of the, the twisting of the mind and not having to do crazy special effects or anything no. like that. It's no. it's almost like a stage production at that point. And um, that ends up being kind of a, a starting off point to kind of really kind of introduce like, okay – this is the kind of stuff that you're going to see on this tour. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. So after the parents are all do- disoriented, they have this musical lock. They open the door into the, what was the name of that room? It's the room where all your dreams can come true. Everything is edible. I mean, it's <laughs> pure imagination is the song that's playing. And it's truly my favorite song in the entire movie. And it's, a, you know, it showcases Gene Wilder. It's the first time we get to see him singing. And it's just, it's just wonderful. You know, everybody's running around. And really, it's probably the happiest part of the movie. Because it's before any horrible things start to happen to any of the kids. It's like the peak. Everybody seems to be satisfied even Willy Wonka himself he gets to see the kids running around the parents poking gummy bears that are in the trees or you know um, wiping up whipped cream that's in like a big giant toadstool kind of thing I mean everyone is at pure bliss at this one point and then it all goes downhill but the song is beautiful it's 
my favorite song in the whole movie. It's probably my favorite song too. I I kind of um, bounce between that song and the very first song in the movie, the um, the Candyman. Yes, that's that's a really good song. Um, but Pure Imagination is definitely kind of you know the my favorite song yeah. of of the movie. And and you're right, you know that there, there's the lines in that in that song and then like that whole moment of the whole concept of you know if you want to view paradise just view it and if you want to change the world there's nothing to it just go ahead and do it yeah you know is this kind of it's a really good positive message that you know in this world that he's kind of created in this chocolate factory um is nice to hear at the beginning of it and then all of a sudden he decides that everything is basically a test (laughs) everything is everything is test i mean you and and you know as you said like you go into they go into this room and everybody's happy but that room was clearly a test for augustus gloob who just will not stop eating and here's this room where you can eat everything and what are you going to do and then all of a sudden you know he kind of meets his fate by Falling into the the chocolate river and then getting sent to the fudge the fudge room. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Every every child essentially is um, presented with what would their greatest temptation be. Right. In each of these different areas in which they all f- meet their fates, and then they suffer the consequences. You know, as each of these children meets their fate, you know the parents get escorted off, and the brilliance of the 1971 version of this movie is that we never see these kids again. Which is something that the Tim Burton version decides not to give us. He decides to have a final shot in that movie with all the kids leaving the factory, which I thought was horrible. I don't want to know what happens to them. That's the whole point. That's what makes it intense and kind of scary and makes impresses upon you that there can be serious consequences when you defy what someone has asked you to do when you are so disrespectful there are consequences and that's why these children are monsters you're very passionate about that i'm very passionate about this movie like i said it could possibly be my favorite movie of all time wow it truly is so this whole scene precedes probably what is considered the creepiest scene in this movie which is the trippiest scene which is one of the coolest scenes yeah. it is one of the most awesome things that ever happened on cinema mm-hmm. is the boat ride mm-hmm now, on this boat ride, all you know the remaining members of the of the tour um, all get on this boat that's a nice paddle boat, which doesn't seem very clean to be in a chocolate river, but whatever. And it goes into this tunnel, and the it gets dark, and everyone starts freaking out, and they're like, "Why is it dark?" And then the boat goes faster, and then there's all these psychedelic images on the walls, and all these colors are happening. And then he starts see- he starts reciting this um, this poem um, while on the boat ride, and it's very kind of calm and very kind of soothing. And then all of a sudden, it gets ru- you know louder and louder and louder, and then he starts scaring everybody, and everyone wants to get off this boat, and. This scene is definitely the the freakiest scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Um and the, like some of the imagery that is on the walls is like like lizards and snakes and I like, think it's their greatest fears. Because yeah. Charlie's was Slugworth. 
And to me, that totally lines up with that being the thing he's most afraid of. True. But because there would be a chicken with its head getting chopped off. There were large tarantulas and spiders crawling over everything. I mean, I think it was what they feared the most. Like, their greatest nightmares were somehow being projected on the walls. Well, so, you know, we watched this movie a ton, right? I mean, a ton, right? Yeah. So, um, I have a little... I'm going to go off a little tangent. I have a little personal story to tell you. So... Back in 1994, I went to go see Nine Inch Nails perform in San Jose. And there was two opening acts. The first opening, uh, one of the opening acts was the Jim Rowe Circus, which was basically like a circus freak kind of performers where like a guy like lifts up cinder blocks with his nipples and um, there's like a half naked woman throwing knives and stuff like that. Wow. And that was amazing. I was 15. <laughs> it was amazing. But there was this other act and that that opened and we had never heard of this of this group before and we're you know we got to the to the venue hours before so we could get really close to the stage. So we're about 5 feet from the stage and we see this setup and it looks kind of weird. There's like multicolored dice and like mushrooms and like weird like all this kind of kind of psychedelic kind of creepy kind of stuff on the stage and the first band comes out and um they start playing this music and all of a sudden like this guy comes out that looks kind of like the undertaker from wwe but if if he was (laughs) had the body frame of like a 90-year-old man. I mean, just very kind Weird. of frail-looking, kind of skinny, coming out all slow with this long hair mm-hmm. and, like, this kind of undertakery hat. And then he starts reciting something in the microphone. And I can't really hear because people are being loud and everything. And he gets kind of louder, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I know this. And it's the the poem from the boat ride and i'm like yes and i start like reciting it back and i'm getting all into it and then the music starts and i had never seen this band before and it was crazy and it was marilyn manson of course it was oh my god that's amazing (laughs) and then i and then like i find out that they open their album doing that and it just kind of goes to show some of the cultural impact that this movie has had that it's you know, there was a band in the '90s named Veruca Salt. That's what I thought you were going to say. There was, you know, there was this whole thing with Marilyn Manson using that at the beginning of their album. So this movie has not just influenced, you know, it's influenced us all yeah. culturally in so many ways. Yeah, and that was so that was like that was a, so cool. I that was kind of a cool. That was Marilyn a cool. Manson. Well, and I didn't know who it was, and I didn't. That was before they were really well known, and then you know I'm standing there ten feet away, going, I don't know, you know, not really knowing what the band is, and then all of a sudden he strips down into a speedo and a dildo and jumps into the crowd. So, awesome. <laughs> very, um, it's definitely one of those highlights of wow. of, of uh, childhood, but it was a lot of fun. But anyway, wow, Willy Wonka influenced your life. In a big way. <laughs> I think I just totally, like, shocked yeah, Nancy. That, well, I thought he was going to say that. I thought he was going to say, oh, it was the band Veruca Salt, because Veruca Salt is probably the biggest monster in the whole movie. And my second favorite scene of the movie, other than some of the very sweet, tender things with Charlie, is um, the 
when she wants to get a golden goose and she throws her gigantic temper tantrum. You know, she has a musical, she's the only child that has a musical number, but I mean, she is, she is just the greatest, biggest brat I've ever seen on television. In fact, I think mom would call me Veruca when we were kids, if I was acting up or whatnot, but you know, she's, just being so demanding and hitting all of the, you know, just making a gigantic mess. And, you know, she finally encountered the person who was going to stop her. And it was Willy Wonka who said, no, I'm sorry, you can't buy this. I mean, when she won her ticket, they shut down production of their salt factory and had probably 500 people opening all the candy bars for two weeks so she could get a golden ticket. And she doesn't give any of the women that were opening all these candy bars credit. I mean, they were, they were rigging the system. She rigged it to win a golden ticket. And she's just, and she was the one who was going to go and give Slugworth an everlasting, an extra everlasting gobstar. She had no loyalty. She was just a monster. She was the exact opposite of Charlie. That's your second favorite scene in that movie? One of your favorite scenes in that movie? Well, I mean, I think it's very memorable. It's like very, very dramatic, and it's just, it's just insane. Why? First, it was they they did not work in salt. They work in peanuts. Nuts. That's right. They work in nuts, 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 nuts. And second, um, you don't think that mom called you that because you had long hair and that was brown and. Yeah, I probably looked similar to her growing up. That's very possible. Looked similar? Hey, be nice. <laughs> you never acted similar, maybe? I never demanded a golden goose. I was never like that. Okay, let's get <laughs> See, this is why we this is what we argue about on this podcast. But in the movie Charlie and Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Joe who can we discuss how supposedly before Charlie won the golden ticket. Charlie never saw any of them out of bed. Um, I'm really, which I don't understand and like, and it's really disgusting to think about. It's kind of creepy that they he never got out of bed in 20 years. How did he go to the bathroom? How did he take a shower? How I mean, it's really how gross. did he how did he go and buy tobacco? He was going to save the money for he was going to you know get tobacco. Where is he going to go? He it's didn't get gross. out of bed. It's all gross. I mean, the the four bed the four grandparents in the bed together. It's just it's so strange. But um they go they go on a little tour like they decide we're they're going to drink some forbidden drink and end up having to burp their way down. I was I think that was probably something we always thought was pretty silly and funny. Oh yeah, the burping but, and and the golden goose and you know the 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 Wonka wash, you know. Violet turning into a blueberry because yeah. she had to have the gum. I mean, all this stuff was fun for us to watch as kids. Yeah, and well, I, I mean, mean, I think we, I think as kids, because the, because what was happening to the kids felt seemed so exaggerated that it felt like, oh my god, like you you don't want to misbehave because these horrible things could happen to you. You know, when all the kids had um, disappeared into one room or another, or had had these horrible things physically happen to them, and Charlie was the last one left, and when uh, Willy Wonka was going to deny him the prize because they drank some very um, powerful soda. Fizzy lifting drinks. Fizzy lifting drinks. It was just the most intense, exciting scene when, you know, Grandpa Joe says to him, no, we're going to go to Slugworth, you know, we'll show him. And then that look when Charlie turns around and walks back and hands him the everlasting gobstopper to show 
I'm not going to do that. Regardless of the fact that all I eat is cabbage water for dinner every night. Like, regardless of how horrible his life is, he'll let all the potential go because he doesn't want to betray Willy Wonka. And then Willy Wonka getting to just reveal, I'm so, so sorry I had to put you through this. This was a test, and I knew it was going to be you, and I'm so happy. And, ah, so good. Yeah. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. And you know what? It's better than the 2005 version because in that version, Johnny Depp somehow, first off, he looks like Carol Channing in that movie. He's got this very <laughs> strange black, like, bob-length wig, and he, he just is so weird. Well, not only does he look like Carol Channing, but I I pretty much the whole time watching that movie and thinking about it now feel like he was channeling, like, Michael Jackson, like, Neverland Ranch Michael Jackson. Oh, God. The, the, you know, the, the kind of, not the cool thriller, like, 1970s Jackson 5 Michael Jackson that we can all kind of, like, try and remember, but the tainted Michael Jackson of, you yeah. know, never, yeah. that Michael Jackson. Yeah. There's that creep factor there. The, uh, the other huge thing that bothers me about that movie are the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Now, I... I, I got to hand it to Tim Burton. He's always done, tried to do creative things. And one of the most creative things he did in that in this in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was he used one actor to play all the Oompa Loompas. A lot had to go into that, you know, everything. But I hated it. I hated the yeah. look of them. I, I liked the orange and green little men. That was great. I hated the look of the Oompa Loompas. I hated the songs. The Oompa Loompa songs in that movie are like cringeworthy. I remember I've only seen that movie once. Me I saw too. it in the theater. Me too. And I remember like it you had that like cringy kind of really disappointed kind of ugh, kind of yeah. feeling every time the Oompa Loompa songs came on. Yeah, it was it was really it was really bad and there's a lot of actors that were in that movie that have gone on to do a whole bunch of stuff since, uh, more so than that were in the original with Gene Wilder. In fact, I can't even list anything that any of those other actors really did. Um, in fact, the actor who played Charlie, I think that's his only acting role. I don't think he ever wanted to act at again after that movie was over. But the, the you know the Johnny Depp version is just it's just wrong. And honestly. I was not a huge Tim Burton fan from the 2000s on, with the exception, I looked this up today, the exception of Big Eyes. He did Big Eyes about four years ago. Of course, that's based on real people. It's a biopic, so it couldn't be that horrible unless he really went off book. But, yeah, I've I've been disappointed with Tim Burton from the 2000s forward. I'm, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Tim Burton fan. I really like... A lot of the original stuff that he's mm-hmm. done, I think of the kind of remake or or you know stuff based on books that he has done. I appreciate Sleepy Hollow the most. Yeah, that's the that's I really the best. Like Sleepy Hollow, but um, and Beetlejuice. Well, and that's an original. You know, yeah. when he gets when he does original stuff, I, I think he really excels. But you know, I think that he there is a lot of times where he was. Given opportunities to make movies that he wanted to, like like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Alice in Wonderland, and you know Alice in Wonderland, I thought was is it's not terrible. It's watchable. It's his vision of it. Mm. That's great. I never I mean, saw it. For the most part, I just really was disappointed. I was I was so hopeful 
for how the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory could have come out. Now, I do want to say this, and I think that this is a an excellent point that that needs to be made is I've never read the Roald Dahl Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. And I think his version sticks more closely to the actual book. Well, and I'm not really sure. From what I've heard people say, yes, that sticks closer to the original text. But I'm going to point this out. If you're watching the credits of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the screenplay is by Roald Dahl based on his book. So mm-hmm. he probably had some say in what was going on. Now, I don't know if it was hey, I came in and I'm helping you put this script together and you guys make a bunch of decisions and I have no say in it because I'm cashing a check or what for whatever reason. I the, there's, the movies are definitely very different. Yeah. I can applaud someone for going with their vision of it. It's just I grew up watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Gene Wilder is like the quintessential version of Willy Wonka that I want to see or that, you know, I have buried in my brain. That's his humor, the creativity he brought to that character as far as how he acted it, the great song that he sings, how you kind of see him as like an adult and as opposed to like the child that they kind of portray him in in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that is actually the thing that bugs me the most about the Johnny Depp version. I don't need Charlie to be Willy Wonka's therapist. In the Johnny Depp version, apparently Willy Wonka is trying to get over his childhood problems. I don't want to see that. I don't care about that. It just, it seems wrong. It's like Charlie Bucket has an opportunity to teach Willy Wonka something in the Gene Wilder version. He teaches Gene Wilder's character that he can actually still trust somebody. He has the ability to trust a child that can carry on his legacy and not try to change it into something that the child wants to do. That was the whole purpose. But we don't need to know if Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka like had a happy marriage, if he got along with his parents, if he had a sibling that he hated. We don't need to know any of that. <laughs> but for whatever reason, in the Johnny Depp version, they make Willy Wonka almost more childlike than Charlie Bucket really is. This is not Charlie Bucket's responsibility. To be Willy Wonka's therapist. And it just really pissed me off. And in the Johnny Depp version, which again, I believe does follow more closely to the book, his dad is alive. Charlie Bucket's dad in the Gene Wilder version, I believe, is gone. He's gone. Either he stepped out on the family and left his parents behind in that bed, or he died. I'm going to believe that he died. Okay. Anyways, I, I just feel that the emotional weight that comes with Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version is much, much heavier and not this big, giant spoof that I feel like the Tim Burton version was. I think that's fair. That's very fair. The last thing I also want to say is we have to, you know, we've been talking about him, but we have to acknowledge Gene Wilder. Oh, just amazing. And, I mean, I like Gene Wilder in um, a couple roles. I've, and probably my, the, the other role other than as... Willy Wonka is as uh, Dr. Frankenstein <laughs> in Young yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. And similar humor kind of comes off. Yeah. And um, the other movie that I really like him in is a movie that came out in the 80s that he got to do with his wife, um, Gilda Radner, was um, Haunted Honeymoon. I never saw that. That In that movie, um, they play, like, radio actors. Oh. And he has... Um, 
kind of a phobia, and she takes him to this. Um, they go on their honeymoon, where she also uses that to try and help him get over a phobia. Mm. And it's a comedy, and it's funny, but it has some scary elements to it. And there's like this whole thing with a werewolf mm. and all this kind of stuff. I, I would, I recommend checking. Is she it trying out. to get him over his phobias? Yes, she's trying to Got get it. him over his phobias. Got and it. it's kind of a fun movie. And I just thought that he was a really great actor. But after um, Gilda Radner passed mm. away, he really just didn't really want to act anymore and then he passed away um a few years ago a few years ago i believe from alzheimer's disease i think so yeah and um it's heartbreaking and um i remember you know everyone was you know when he passed away the image that everyone kind of came out with it wasn't blazing saddles it wasn't dr frankenstein it was willy wonka yeah like for our generation and for most people you saw images of him as Willy Wonka coming out yeah. when he passed away. In the purple suit, in the, 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 the brown, the, like light brown hat. Yeah. So. It was amazing. All right. So um, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to it. I, again, want to t- do a quick shout out to anyone out there who might have any contact with people connected to john and joan cusack we would love to have that sibling duo um as special guests on our podcast in the future you know how to reach us tell us how to reach them you know we will you know we'll try and work something out we're willing to do this over the internets and you know we can connect that way if we if we can but if anyone out there as those connections again no pressure but we also want to thank very very much all of our listeners um it's been a lot of fun we still love doing this and we really appreciate that you stick around and listen to us talk about the movies that leave us comments watching and leave us comments and um rate our podcast wherever you can um the apple podcast has a great function to rate and give us a review it'll help our podcast grow Thank you very much, and we'll see you next episode. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your 